I'm not even sure how it fits, but I'm going to hand this around. This is, it's not quite an antique. They make them a whole lot better now. And all those dings on there explain why I'll probably have Alzheimer's or something someday. <laughs> notice, notice. Yeah. We're at a men's conference, aren't we? Notice in the helmet inside, notice the knee pad as extra support up top. Some of you guys did that in high school. Put a knee pad in there. Isn't that ridiculous? Uh, guys, I'm, I'm kind of wrestling. You know, on a men's retreat, you come in. And I, first of all, I just want to say um, you guys have been so, so gracious and encouraging and receptive. You have ministered to me more than you will ever know. The guys that I don't even know who've come up and just prayed, others that have just prayed. And, and uh, obviously, uh, this, this weekend isn't about Steve Farrar, it isn't about any one of us. It's about our gathering together before God's throne as, as His sons and, and hearing from Him. And so, we've hit on probably too many different topics this morning. I, I think clearly, you know, it's, so, so now what? We've all been to conferences, we're sky high, we've been to camps, and then, you know, guys have said, and then 30 days later, there I am again. I'm, I'm still looking at stuff I shouldn't look at. I'm still in a relationship I probably need to be out of. I'm still, you know, not taking care of my business at school, I'm still, and you can fill in the blank, and there's areas in my life that need to be changed. So this morning, and this has been kind of a on-the-fly deal, obviously I had a few ideas Friday afternoon when Brad called, and for some reason that verse in 2 Timothy, men lifting holy hands, came to mind. If, if we're going to lead the charge... It's got to start with an understanding, a practical understanding, a blue collar, not a, with all due respect to the professors in this room, not a theoretical, but a blue collar understanding of what holiness means every day, right? So this morning, I hope that in our time together, we can consider from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is a, one of my favorite books. It's very mysterious in ways, but like all the mysteries in the scripture, there's, there's just, there's awe, there's, there's reverence, there's, it's beyond, and yet it's here for us. I'm going to read from a, a passage in Hebrews 10, and what, what I hope this morning, we can find a man's holy keys Holy keys, set, set apart, keys that no one on earth has in their pocket except those who belong to Jesus Christ in faith. No matter where you are, these keys are yours, and yet too often we just leave them dangling. You know, you see those guys that got big old thing of keys, and you wonder, man, did they ever use those? You know, I've only got a few on my, I like to keep just a few keys. So I want, to, I want us to look at a, a man's holy keys to what I want to call Super Bowl living. And lest you wonder, is this guy ever 
does this guy ever get out of his past of football? And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But but I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of those paths, one of my favorites. I, I think I read this as a brand new Christian college guy like some of you, and it just intrigued me and grabbed hold of me. And it seemed to me this this may be one of those verses that you're you know you're thinking about when they wheel you in for some major surgery or you're in a car wreck or whatever. So let's read this together. The writer, and interestingly, you know, we don't even know who wrote this book. It might be Paul, I don't know. It's one of those books that, you know, it's been well said, God's highest authors don't sign their name. We do know this comes from God. This is holy stuff, guys. Since therefore, brethren, and that's us. And by the way, we're at all levels, aren't we? Where some of us are, are been walking with the Lord for years and we're maturing and growing. And, you know, we're not only a Paul, but we have Timothys in our life. And others of us are, you know, just cluing in and maybe just newborn even this weekend. Wonderful. If that's the case, I hope you'll share that with us in our share time. There may be some of you that are just curious in this world that looks like it might end. Okay, I mean, it's no secret. Everybody's everybody's wondering what is about to happen. There is a people that knows the end and lives peacefully as we wait. So wherever we are, I hope, I trust that this passage has something to say to us. Since therefore, brethren, we have... Confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. There was a guy in college that used to always talk about plead the blood. I'm sure he heard it from his church all the time and it drove me batty. I thought that's the most obnoxious. If he says plead the blood one more time in our FCA meeting, I'm going to kick him out because it just bothered me. I'm so thankful for him because Jesus' blood has changed me. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. This should be so encouraging. For us guys this morning because we've looked at some of our sin haven't we some of us have said you know what too late for me i wish i was a technical virgin i've had sex with so many women i i god knows it's awful some of you are just petrified over your sin as i have been this is so encouraging let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, gentlemen, as you see the day drawing near. Father, this uh, is obvious to us. We don't have to be a pastor or a theologian. And might not even have to be a Christian to say something is happening this weekend. Something special because you're visiting us in a unique way. 
And so we sit on the edge of our seat. We trust the angels who long to look into these things are tuned in to the eternal decisions that may be made even this morning. So, Father, we ask that you would take take over this time that I might simply be a mouthpiece because I'm confident I need to hear what's about to be said as much or more than any of my brothers in this room. We ask in the name of your Son, the great High Priest. Amen. You know, I tried to resist the temptation yesterday afternoon as I was jotting down passages that came to mind as Brad and I were texting and praying and wrestling about where this weekend might go. I tried to resist the temptation to piggyback on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, after all, doesn't this game get enough attention? Won't our wives say, for crying out loud, you'll be watching the TV for five hours this afternoon. Couldn't the guy find anything else to talk about at your final service on the men's retreat? <laughs> and she's got a great point. In fact, after Matt's, Matt Morton's, uh, our college pastor's message a few weeks ago on time, he talked about how we fritter time away. Were you all there? Did you all hear that? So around the house, I asked Michael, I said, hey, bud, the game's on. You want to you watch fritter ball tonight? You know, because it's kind of a fritter. But the more I've reflected on the writings of the great apostle, as I started thinking, you know, what would Paul, if he were here, sometimes I like to ask that before I speak, what would Paul say to us this morning if he were here? And the more I've reflected on how Paul weaves athletic analogies through his writings all through the scripture. And interestingly enough, most of the best scholars suggests that we have no reason to believe that Paul was an athlete. Okay, he, he probably got cut in junior high. <laughs> he, you know, wasn't the guy that everybody picked, you know. When you play Red Rover and you pick teams, you want to be, he wasn't that guy. But he, for some reason, saw in athletic contests, be it running, be it wrestling, and you guys know the verses, they're, they're woven through. Marco with FCA, you know, that's really what the whole ministry of FCA has been built on, is athletics is a place for us to connect and identify, whether we're, you know, dummy holders or first-teamers, and I've been both a lot, believe me. Actually, more dummy holding than first-team. I would submit the great apostle might have wrapped up this morning piggybacking on today's game. You know, Paul was a realist. He knew he lived in a world, and he knew people were interested in the game, so he didn't judge it as a waste of time, with all due respect to Matt's sermon. He said, let's sanctify, let's set it apart, let's, while we're watching these races, let's learn, let's meditate on what it means to run. He said, if you're going to run the race, run to win. Every single coach that gathers their team for two days in camp says, gentlemen, we're going to win the national championship this year. Maybe not everyone, but there's at least... 10 or 20, and you know what? If they don't, they don't have a chance. They know only one's going to win. 
but they're running in such a way, they want their young men to run in such a way that they may win. And by the way, Mike Sherman wants our kids to win, not just on the field. So this morning, there's just a couple of keys, a few keys I've noted there, but just to kind of set the the tone of understanding this book, I think we need, first of all, to, to remember that we need help from the great head coach. And I want you to turn, hold Hebrews 10, but turn to Hebrews 4. This passage really goes with the passage in Hebrews 10. The writer says, Since therefore we have a great, a great high priest. Verse 14. Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I want us to camp for a moment, first of all, on His greatness. You know, all through the Bible, when you've read through, there's priests and there's high priests. And they had some privileges, okay, back in the day, way back in the day, where they would go before God on behalf of men and they had, you know, the high priest could you know, get all cleaned up and go into the deal and kind of represent all the people, right, Brad? And, you know, they kind of had a different position. But now we come along in the New Testament and we have a great high priest, the only high priest in Scripture who's called great. See, pastors really don't have any more access to the throne than any of the rest of us. Guys, did you realize that this morning, if we're Christian, and and if you're not, don't leave, stay here. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've understood the gospel, did you realize that you can be as close to God as you really want to be? That's an awesome thought. We can be as close to God as we want to be. And I promise you on any given morning... When you go to Grace and hear Brian or Blake or any of the other pastors or you're here this morning, I promise you there are some men in this room, we don't know who they are today, but who at this moment are closer to the throne of God, are closer in their relationship to Him than I am. Very aware of that. So you don't think just because God happens to give somebody to speak that they necessarily have as close of a relationship with God as they can explain. That's an occupational hazard of those who have the gift of teaching. And that's why we're warned, don't, (laughs) if you can do something else, do something else. (laughs) Right, Brad? Don't let many of you become tired. Right. That's why we need pastors. They got the verses down. (laughs) So first his greatness, then his sympathy. The word, uh, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as, as we are, yet without sin. This is an incredible passage. It means basically to suffer together with. He knows, you know, for a long time in the Christian life, I thought, well, how is Jesus such a great example to me? He doesn't know what it's like to, you know, have to fight off looking at pornography or, you know, cheat on a test. He's perfect. I mean, you know, he'd, you know the opposite is true. Because someone who has never 
given in to sin knows its full force. At some point in this human flesh, at some point until we're with the Lord and in glory, we at some point give in, hopefully less and less. But Paul said, I press on, I'm not perfected. I press on the whole time we're here. Our whole pilgrimage is a is a gradual learning to overcome sin. And then we fall in. We go, just like our brother shared, you know, 36, 365 days, James said, and there were a couple of stumbles. And I'm so encouraged that he didn't just totally get discouraged and let Satan use that and throw him off. He's going in the right direction. And I think by the grace of God, 10 years from now, three years from now, this is going to be way behind him in his rearview mirror. So Jesus knows we don't have, we're not playing for, some people said it was hard to play for Coach Francione because he never played college football. Mike Sherman has lined up and played. And those linemen, he's a master at coaching, No, hey, he's been there. See, Jesus has been there. In some way, he knows the full force. You've never been tempted in a way greater than your Savior has had to resist. And yet he never gave in. He's our champion. He's the guy you want on your team, in your heart. His greatness, his sympathy, and then his accessibility. Look here in verse 16. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace, unmerited, undeserved favor to help in time of need. Notice the present tense. Trust the Greek scholars, it's in the present tense. We can pray without ceasing, all because of our relationship with Him. You know, I'm a, I'm a, like some of you, I'm a slow learner. And I learn a lot of my lessons the hard way. I happen to really enjoy special teams. You know, when you're a walk-on at A&M, you kind of have to play special teams. And uh, my sophomore year, you know, I, I got on the, all the special teams, and, and I just learned to really enjoy them and felt like I was contributing. Yeah, they're not as many plays, but every coach knows those special teams are huge. They're oftentimes, Marco, what, like 30, 40-yard turnarounds in, in the ball game make a huge difference, you know, and a fumble and a long return and things are, they're huge. And, uh, and I, I, part of the reason I got drafted was because I was a special teams guy. I could come in and not just play linebacker, but I could play on special teams in my rookie year with the Chiefs. That was most of my playing time for the early part of the season, even in the mid part of the season was on special teams. And I'd become one of the leading tacklers on the cover teams, the punt and the kickoff team, my rookie year. But all of this came to a screeching halt on a cold Sunday afternoon in Kansas City. I used to go out early and, uh, you know, warm up and stuff when the punters and kickers went out just to kind of get loose. And strange, never happened before, but... I was just standing there and just kind of stretching a little bit, and one of the refs came jogging over, and he said, uh, Jeff, Todd Wagner, I mean, I'm Charles Wagner, Todd Wagner's father. He told me to tell you hello today. I said, Mr. Wagner, 
Yes, Todd told me last summer, Todd, his son and I had been counselors and had visited and gotten to know each other and become friends at Canicuck a few years before. And we chatted a little bit. We had a few minutes, you know, just talking about the game, a cold day and this and that. And as we parted ways, he just sort of joked, he winked and he said, hey, Jeff, by the way, if you uh, run into any trouble out there today, just let me know. Kind of patted his flag. <laughs> I, I thought, huh. Yeah, I didn't think much of it. I chuckled and jogged off. Uh, well, the, the, first, uh, the first time we punted, uh, I was the right guard, and I lined up like this, and right over me was this number 58 for the Buffalo Bills, a big, about a seven- or eight-year linebacker. Wasn't a starter, but he was a real, you know, feisty, salty player. Big guy, strong. I thought, my goodness. So my job is to make sure he doesn't rush and then cover my lane. And somehow he figured out a way to grab on. He was taller than I was, so you know he's like 6'5 or whatever. He grabbed on to my, the bottom of my face mask and pulled it into his chest. So it was like I looked like I was blocking him. But the problem is he was holding me. And he ran me way out of my lane before I finally broke loose of him. And the you know, return comes up seven or eight yards, and I ran off the field, and y'all need to tell you what the coach said, because they see everything that happens upstairs, and they relay it to special teams coach, and what in the, you know, <laughs> and so the next play, I said, coach, I said, you know, no, he just had me, and next play, we go out there, and this time, he does the same thing, I'm trying to fight his hands off, except this time, literally, he takes me almost to the sideline, and up the field for about 15 yards same hole you know we talk about picking on a rookie so after that play I started remembering Mr. Wagner (laughs) (laughs) and I found him and I said Mr. Wagner I said would you please watch number 58 of the punt return team next time we punt nodded you know and of course we get out there and I'm just wondering is this really going to make a difference because it, it better because so sure enough I line up and he grabs hold of my face mask and he not only runs me out of my lane he brings me to the ground but this time I'm looking up <laughs> there it is the flag <laughs> yes you know and it's like holding number 58 on the defense First down, you know, and I'm going, yes! Man, I wish I'd asked Mr. Wagner, please, to watch number 58 before we even punted. You know, the referee of the universe comes up to each one of us when we trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, Simon, he chats and so forth. And by the way, you're friends with the son of the referee of the universe. Said, so, you know, Jesus really enjoyed getting to know you last summer, that retreat or that camp. Enjoy the game today. And by the way, if you need any help out there, just let me know. And if we're wise, you know, every day we wake up 
we don't need to pray about whether we need help or not. We're told, <laughs> okay? That's, but we ask God to watch number 58. See, number 58 isn't a big, strong, muscular linebacker who probably runs a 4 five forty and benches 400 pounds and whatever else that animal could do. Now, our battle, our, fle- our struggles are not what? Against flesh. See, every day we line up to try and make plays and cover ground in our lives for the glory of God. And there's a number 58 who's demonic. Who wants nothing, not just to take you to the turf, he wants you to take you to hell. And because of Christ, he knows he he lost that one. But he wants to keep you at all costs from making plays. And I don't know what it is in your life this morning. Chances are you do. You know what or who is holding you up and keeping you from making the plays that God has for you to make. Now, we don't just need help from the the great head coach. But back to our passage in Hebrews 10... We need access to the locker room of God. We need access to the locker room of God. You know, this, all this stuff about the holy place. And I mean, this is a mysterious passage. And this is one of those, if you're not a Christian, you kind of go, man, this, is, this stuff's kind of weird, okay? But I'm convinced that this passage is one opens up, Grant, the keys we need, right, for Super Bowl living. You know, the locker room, just like the throne room of God, this holy place, you, you don't just walk in the locker room. Okay, they've got levels of protection, of security, and so forth. You, not just anybody goes into the locker room. I mean, not just anybody gets on the, the field, the, the media pass and, you know, certain celebrities, whatever, but, but the locker room, like at halftime, uh-uh. Most of you know that Coach Mike Sherman, before he was here, he was for six years both the general manager and the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. But what a lot of you may not know is before that, way before that, he lived over in Emerald, Emerald Forest right down the street from one of my best friends. And coach, coach had a son named Matt, and my best buddy happened to have a son named Matt. And they were playing in the alley together and mud pies and goofing around and climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. Well, years, the, the two sons stayed in touch, you know. And years later, Matt Sherman, probably Facebooked or whatever his buddy, Matt Roeder, and uh, said, hey, we want you to come up to Green Bay and go to a Packers game. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fun. You know, I mean, Lambeau Field, okay, all the history behind the Packers program. To get to go and, you know, stay in a hotel and be in the actual stands and, 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 and take in a game, that's, that's good stuff, isn't it? I mean, even if you're not a Platt, it would be a fun experience. It would be a fun gig. Well, they get there and... They find out that 
Uh, first of all, they're not staying in a hotel. They're staying in coaches' home. They find out they're not just going to be sitting in the stands, but they have sideline passes. In fact, they didn't just have sideline passes. Theirs said locker room access. So at halftime, they find themselves literally walking into the locker room with Brett Favre and all the boys. Right there, just, you know, hearing coaches' comments and in the locker room. And then the next morning, they have breakfast at the coach's table. And once again, I think if we're honest, most of us are living the Christian life, you know, staying at the La Quinta and sitting on the third deck. (laughs) And maybe getting a jack-in-the-box drive-thru on the way to the game. But see, the reality is because... Simply because, only because, my friend and his son had become friends with. And Jesus said, I have called you friends with the son of the coach. Full access. So, again, whatever else this passage is saying, and it's mysterious and theologians wrestle over what all it means. I'm not smart enough to get into all those debates, but I know it means that we we can live as near to the presence of God as we want to. And so the question is, practically speaking, how do we, you know, when we're not at a retreat, how do we go out and, and put this into play? And as you read through this passage, it's, it's a beautiful a beautiful passage uh, after this description of the holy place. And, and by the way, you know, I told you that I used, to, I used to cringe when this guy in our college group always talking about pleading the blood. I'm still not sure exactly what it means, but a phrase that I despised as a new Christian, I now cherish as a guy in the middle mile of life. Once, uh, many years ago in Chicago, there was a, a, a broadly, kind of like what happens today, a bunch of religions got together and were, were trying to find some common ground, you know, Middle East and Western cults and just, you know, of course there were some Christians there, fortunately. And uh, one of, during one of the sessions, Dr. Joseph Cook of, of Boston, he stood up. And he said, gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with a great sorrow. Apparently he had brought someone with her, with him. Blood stains are on her hands and nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Is there anything in your religions which will remove her sin and give her peace? And that conference was just like this. No one had anything to say. And then Dr. Cook raised his eyes to the heaven and he cried out, John, if you could tell this woman how to rid herself of her awful sin. And as if he was waiting from an audible reply, he said, listen, John speaks. And he quotes 
1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Some of you guys are in situations, be it because of sin that is a part of your life or someone you're married to or something that happened to you. All I can say is the blood of Jesus Christ in fact, I'll just quote my obnoxious brother in college, plea the blood. You know, people, we live in an academic, you know, you guys are at Texas A&M and there's professors out there that are smarter than all of us and they have all kinds of reasons why the Christian life may not be reasonable and, you know, and I'm thankful for all the apologists out there that argue with them and show that it is logical and so forth and so on. But I, I, I would like to suggest that outside the resurrection, the work of the Spirit in changing the life of a believer is the unanswerable argument for Christianity and the Christian life. No man can disregard a faith which is able to make a bad man good. And gentlemen, I was a very bad man. There were some guys, um, some workers, and blue-collar guys, and one of the, the friends came to trust Christ and his, bu- his buddies. You know, like it happened to some of you guys, he comes back and they hear and they say, you know, surely... You don't believe in miracles and all that stuff. You don't believe that Jesus can change water into wine and all that kind of stuff. He said, guys, I don't know about all that. All I know is in my house, Jesus turned beer into groceries. Jesus turned beer into groceries. You can't argue with that. So this passage finishes... And it's one of those where there's the obvious structure of this, as you're studying through this, is what? The threefold what? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. Notice it's assumed that Christianity is a team sport, it's assumed that we've got brothers next to us. It doesn't say, let me, let me, let me. It's all about us. And I don't know if it's a formal Bible study you sign up for, or you just grab a couple of guys here around your dorm. Some of us wait for everything to be so formal we never get around to doing anything. Just gather some guys you're comfortable with. Maybe those guys that you like hunting. So let those be your guys or or. Or, you know, whatever your passions are, but connect somehow and do this thing, do this thing together. Let us draw near. What, what I'd like to, to suggest here is let's get back to the huddle. Let us draw near with a sincere or a genuine heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is talking about the, 
the confidence, the assurance, the excitement, the joy that we now have being completely cleansed and absolutely welcome in the presence of God. But sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? I remember my, uh, the, the uh, first game of my second season, we played the New Orleans Saints down in the Superdome, same place they're playing. And uh, I was just so excited, I, I made my very first sack. I fought through the block. You know, I, I slapped, you know, the running back that tried to block me, and I got to Bobby Bear and brought him down. And, and as I did, I'm laying there, and my, the palm of my hand is just hanging open. I don't know how it happened. Maybe, you know, the snap or whatever, but just like, you know, nasty. And I'll never forget laying there after making the play and just laying there and, and looking at that hand hanging open. And not knowing what to do, I was kind of afraid. I, I mean, you know, I was just, whoa, what do you do? And, and so I needed somebody, right? I needed, so Gary Spaney, you know, he's a former All-American from K-State, savvy guy, scars all over his body, you know, been in the league eight years. He runs up, you know, and he says, I said, I said, Spoo, look at my hand. I'm literally, I'm looking, at, he goes, just like this. Oh, that's a good one. Now get back in the huddle. Just like that. So I get back in the huddle. Kind of, you know, dripping. That's back in the day when they didn't pull, you know, now you have to come out because of age or whatever. Back then you just play. So now the next time, you know, there's, there's a bunch of red spots all over these guys' uniforms, you know. <laughs> and go to halftime and, you know, they numb it up and sew it up and wrap it up and you're back in the next half and you just finish playing. You know, whether we made a sack or not, aren't there some of us right now just like this? I mean, we're on the team, we're, helmet's on. But we need, we need Spaney. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and you know what Joe is going to do to somebody? He's going to come up. He's going to grab them. You know what? Who, who's over here? James is Riggs. You know what Riggs is going to do? Last year, our, our brother James, I think, went home. But he was flat on his back, wasn't he? And what did Riggs do? We don't, he won't look good in our Sunday school class. That's not the kind of material we want at Grace Bible Church. No, Riggs goes over. Get back in the huddle. And he brings him in. And a year later, James has a scar. Right? I mean, sin scars us. But it's healed up. And you know what? I busted that open again the next week. <laughs> in practice. Before the Raiders game, but Spaney said, tape it up. You get the idea? Let's get back to the huddle. Okay, second key. Let's buckle up our chin straps. It would help if that helmet had a chin strap on it, wouldn't it? Verse 23, let us hold fast 
the confession or the saying of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You know, this, this passage, uh, basically this has the idea of to say the same as. To say the same as the guys of the faith that have gone before us for hundreds of years have been saying, and they have finished their race, right? They're the cloud of witnesses. And by the way, they're not watching us. They're celebrating. They're testifying before God of His faithfulness and the awesome ways that He worked in their life. A hundred years from now, James and Riggs are going to be telling that story. They're not going to be watching the guys back here. They've already done that. Every year we have player reunions, you know, and, and it's, it's during the spring game. And, you know, one year Stephen McGee said something like, uh, you know, what would you think? And I said, Stephen, be honest with you, I didn't even watch the game. A little bit surprised. I said, and I said, neither will you someday. Because what you're going to be doing is telling your stories of what when you guys played. And now is when we're having the chance to create those stories that we'll have to share and tell and testify about forever and ever and ever. I used to wonder when that we've been there 10,000 years when we've just begun. I used to think, eh, that's a long time. It could get boring. You know what? Nuh-uh. We're going to get to worship God for all. Now we know just in part, then we'll know in full. And so this idea of buckling up the chin strap of playing with the certainty that we believe the truth, with full assurance that we have been cleansed, that we can live without wavering. Frank Gans was a, was a phenomenal special teams coach that he died just a year or so ago. But even the linemen who weren't involved in the special teams would come to his meeting and he would inspire us before games. He would say, This isn't a game. This is a war. He said, when the chief special teams take the field, moms are going to be saying, Johnny, turn your head. It's too violent out there. And we're all just like, you know, yeah. (laughs) But you know, Frank Gans, by the way, a Christian man, he knew he was just getting us pumped up. But you know, sometimes I think the opposite is true. We think what we're about is a game and it's a war. And I want you this afternoon, if you watch the game, you, you know, you can, they say you can actually survive if you don't watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> if you watch the game, I want you to notice, you know how right before the, the guys make their final kickoff and last commercial and they zoom in and the, 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 you know, the, the kickoff team is like this, ready to go down and cover and the kickoff return team is, is over here, you know, waiting and zeroing in on their man. When they zoom in that camera, I want you to notice something. I made an observation one time, just a few years ago, actually. I thought, you know, these guys are some of the biggest, fastest, strongest, meanest, most experienced, well-trained men on the face of the earth. And you know what? Every single one of them, before the whistle blows, not only is his helmet on, but it's buckled up. You read in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation. And I thought, none of these guys are, taking, are assuming that they don't need their helmet 
to play their game. And yet, how many days do I wake up, and not only don't I have my helmet buckled up, oftentimes it's not even on. I've not given a thought that I've been given the helmet of salvation and all the gear that comes with it every morning. Let's buckle up our chin straps. And then finally, gentlemen, let's all make great plays together. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, had Spaney not got me back in the huddle, I might not have enjoyed one of my greatest memories as a, as a player. You guys remember Earl Campbell? He was slowing down. He wasn't anything like he was early in the But he was in that backfield at that time. And uh, I thought, man, I'd love to tackle him just once. And this was after that cut. I got to tackle him. I admit, you know, we were, after we hit, we went another seven or eight yards <laughs> this way. I just held on for dear life, and we came down. But, you know, I would have missed that had Spaney not pulled me aside. There's stuff James would have missed. He told us about the plays he made because Riggs got him back in the huddle. (laughs) That's what this verse is saying. It has the idea of let us consider how to stimulate, literally how to excite, one translator said, would not be an unfair word in our day. How to excite Nothing wrong with getting excited about the Super Bowl, but guys, as Christians, we get to make plays every single day. And it's time we start getting more excited about the plays that we're making with our buddies than the plays the guys make in a game that in three years from now, not hardly any of us will remember who won, much less who made what play. But see, the plays that we make, Paul said, are for not an imperishable wreath. I mean, not a perishable wreath, but what? Imperishable. It never fades away. But you know, some of us are just, we're so uncertain. We're, we're not sure about what we believe and how we can make plays and so forth. I was so fortunate during my my rookie training camp to have a a coach that gave me an insight that I really needed to hear. After a couple of weeks of camp, I I was overwhelmed with all the stuff we were having to learn. The playbook was this thick and that was just the, that didn't include all the supplements and the you know, the guys behind me were all bigger and faster and stronger, and, and, and I, just, I just wasn't playing well. And uh, one of my coaches pulled me aside, and I, I was honestly concerned. It was about just before the third cut. I was honestly wondering, he was our defensive coordinator, if he was going to say, you know, Jeff, um, wait, you need to turn your playbook in tomorrow. You know, Bud Carson... In fact, he's the guy that coordinated the steel curtain in the 70s. He pulled me aside and he said, Jeff, he said, you just haven't been playing like 
we thought you, you would when we drafted you from Texas A&M. And I just knew I was going to be cut. He says, let me, uh, let me tell you something. Not only are you going to make the roster, but you're going to be a starting outside linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs before this season is over. So go out and play like it. (laughs) Here, I was ready to go get my playbook. We have a scrimmage the next day. And I think in a series of about nine plays, I think I made seven tackles. Just a scrimmage. I was free. There wasn't anything I could do wrong. I could go for it. You know, in the very, very same way, our coach comes up to us through a wonderful passage that many of you are familiar with in John's first letter. John chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not wish, not conjecture, not wonder, but that you might know that you have eternal life. See, in Christ, we're not only on the roster. He wants us to start. He wants us to make plays. We're all like James, and we all need a bill to help us get back in the huddle. To help envision, to remind us to buckle our chin strap and to see the plays, envision the plays, and celebrate the plays that we can make together. I'd like for us to, um, Brad's going to dismiss us here in a minute to get into our groups. Um, Obviously, these questions are just, just to get you started. But Father, we just ask you now to allow your word to settle in, to become clear to change us, to make us more like Christ. In his name and through his precious blood we ask. Amen.